values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with the show here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, we invite you to do it. It's very simple to do. You never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my good friend, Carol Royce, Kellowham Realty East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. That's carolhasthebuyers.com. The CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan office, says that the Inflation Reduction Act will cause more audits... More audits for working class. That is what this is saying. Um, And it's hard to believe that anyone could really believe otherwise. Uh, Honestly, how could anybody believe otherwise? The Inflation Reduction Act uh, allows for the expansion of 87,000 IRS agents. And you think they're only going to go after people making more than $400,000 a year. That's not the case. And there are a lot of small business owners that fall into that category that don't take home nearly $400,000 a year. This is going to be they're going to come after people with a side hustle. We've seen this happen before. I don't understand why if you are someone that is a working class and I grew up my entire life. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the old thing. In, in radio is you're sitting in a room, you're in an, I've got headphones on in a soundproof room and you feel like you're kind of talking to yourself and the coaches in this business always say, imagine you're speaking to someone specifically. And when I, when I speak, I imagine I'm speaking to working class people. That's my, has always been who I've, that's who I relate to. And uh, I appreciate everybody that listens, but I just want you to know those are the people that I think about when I talk about an issue are the working class families that work hard, pay their bills, are finding it tough to get by right now. That's who I imagine when I'm sitting here. And it really doesn't matter what political party you're in. That's who I picture. And if you – why is it bad – and I agree that it is to try to take extract more money out of that segment of our society, the federal government or even the local government. There was a push here years ago, and I don't know how many years ago it was. I don't remember. There were people that didn't like uh, having garage sales or having yard sales at your house. And there, so what they wanted to do was limit the number you could have in the year or you were supposed to pay income taxes or sales taxes on the items you sold. So when you sell you know, a bag of clothes for a quarter, the, the city wanted to get their cut. And it was a ridiculous proposition. But people get riled up because now you're trying to take more money from the working class. So this vision in your mind that the wealthy among us, let's just take it from them because they have more than they need, again, is something I don't subscribe to either. A tax cut is not giving anything to anyone. It's taking less from them. So when the Congressional Budget Office comes out and they're a nonpartisan organization, they say, A, this is going to do nothing to reduce inflation. Nothing. And it is going to increase audits against small businesses and working class individuals and couples. Why is it a good idea? The president is supposed to sign this today. It's going to be a a major moment. It's supposed to happen around 1230. And this is going to be a great thing. And everything about it says it isn't. Everything about this says that it isn't. So I under listen, I don't think I, I gave up on this a long time ago. I do not think that my political party has the corner on patriotism and the other political parties have the corner on crazy or irrational. I think there is plenty of both on both sides here. So if you're someone on the other side of the aisle from me, I don't know what you like about this unless, of course, you are someone that doesn't like rich people. 
because it says it's going to punish rich corporations. Okay, those rich rich corporations are going to pass this along to you. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear Jamie Raskin, who is a Democrat. He was talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, and someone asked him specifically, where is it going to reduce inflation? Listen to this response. As, as soon as the act goes into uh, effect, I hope that all of the provisions will begin to work. I am. Uh, I, I know that those who have been blaming President Biden for the inflation going up are now giving President Biden all the credit for inflation going down. So we're moving things in the right direction already. Yeah, and what parts of the bill do you think will will quickly work on that specifically? The, the, uh, next question. Next question. They can't name specifically where it's going to help inflation, and. That is so funny. They say the president doesn't get any credit for any blame for credit uh, or inflation going up, but he gets credit when it's going down. That's how good this Inflation Reduction Act is. It's not even signed yet. It's not even been enacted yet. And you're already seeing inflation go down. That's how good it is. And then they say, well, then what specifically? Ah, Next question. Don't want to answer that one. Next question. But here's the reality. Inflation is costing the average American $717 per month. $717 per month. Anybody out there think that they've got an extra 717 bucks a month to just hanging around that they can afford? As a matter of fact, here's part of a Fox Business report. Like a few items from the grocery store, I'm still racking up like $200 bills, and yet I have like two things, two meals to make for dinner. I noticed the prices when I was at checkout. Prices were ridiculous. Groceries are all up. Gas is up. Water bill, electric bill, everything. As a parent, you want to buy the 25-cent folder. You can't find them, so you have to spend a dollar something on a folder. The inflation is on our items, but not in our pocket. Well, everyday Americans certainly feeling the heat of inflation, while a new report reveals that inflation is costing the average American $717 a month. So here's where the direction that we are heading. The direction we are heading right now is that because inflation continues to grow, no matter what they say, they are continuing to raise interest rates. Now, it does not directly, as a matter of fact, we've seen mortgage rates go down recently. It doesn't directly pertain to mortgage rates, but because of the cost of building things, because of supply chain issues, we have seen new construction around the country, not necessarily in Arizona. I don't have the Arizona numbers in front of me, but nationally, construction has dropped significantly in the month of July. So has manufacturing. So now we have got a housing shortage nationwide. New construction is way down because of supply chain issues and costs and mortgage rates. Some of that is in there as well. And the fear people have of what is going to happen next. There is nobody that I know of that's going to buy a new house and sign on the dotted line on a 15 or a 30 year mortgage. If they're worried they're not going to have a job or if they're worried that they can't pay the bills that they have. That's just not something people are going to do. So uh, builder confidence plunges. So has manufacturing. We are seeing some of the significant things in an economy that are going in the wrong direction. And so what turns this political is, well, of course, you're going to say that you don't like the president. Well, I'm also going to say that because I love my country. I am an American before I'm a Republican. I can see what's happening. I've been through it before. I was in construction. I was an electrical contractor when the housing crash happened under the Bush administration. So it's not political for me. 
But we as Americans are now going to start seeing the federal government take more money, billions of dollars in taxes out of the American economy. They say they're taxing the rich, but we know that the reality is they are taxing Americans and those taxes will be passed on to the consumer. So that money is coming out of the American economy at a time when even Barack Obama said you do not raise taxes during a recession and you look what we're sprinting toward. That's where I stand on this. And this Inflation Reduction Act is absurd. Coming up in a moment, the L.A. District Attorney, George Gascon, survives a recall effort. But what are the critics saying about him and a crime update you're not going to believe? All that's happening in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, We have got to talk about crime and punishment in America. There is so much that is happening. And uh, starting with San Francisco, let's start with San Francisco and the history of what's going on. There was a a movement around the country that's not new. There is nothing new about this. And it was a defund the police movement. And what I mean there's nothing new about it is uh, for my entire life, there has been kind of an anti-establishment group of people. I mentioned before, go back to the 1960s. I love the music of the 60s. When you lived in that age, that political movement really meant something to them, kind of like what we hear now in music. It means something socially to people. When you get older and you're a generation removed, you just love the music. But the protest music of the 1960s, Haight-Ashbury, the hippie movement, was largely anti-military. And it was an anti-military sentiment that goes back to that anti-establishment, anti-authority mindset in groups of people. What's happened now in the 21st century is the anti-establishment movement was against the police departments. It was defunding the police. The police were the problem. The police were creating the violence. Neighbors, neighborhoods were better off without them. And that was the way, the mindset of this movement, but it affected cities so dramatically that cities actually defunded their police departments starting in San Francisco. They are now adding back $120 million into their uh, police departments because it's an unmitigated disaster when they defunded the police department. Period. It's just been a disaster. Uh, just some of the headlines. George Gascon, he's the DA in, in California, survived a recall. But the Los Angeles deputy DA, Gascon, is creating a ticking time bomb by releasing murderers back on the street. That's just a headline. A restaurant owner in Los Angeles, California. Um, and the video is, uh, I'm sorry, it's in it's in La Brea, um, uh, sorry, La Brea and Hollywood, according to this. It's an intersection of La Brea and Hollywood is where this pizza shop is in, in L.A. And uh, the video is harrowing. A homeless kid uh, is walking through the courtyard, a patio of a restaurant, and just punches an old man and knocks him right out of his chair for no reason, an unprovoked attack. The owner of the restaurant sees this, chases this kid down, tackles him, and holds him down until the police get there. These are the kinds of crimes where is it, how much time is that guy going to spend in jail? Are they going to prosecute this? If you're this old man, you have been brutally attacked. You weren't severely injured maybe, and I don't know how bad the injuries were. And this is the kind of thing we are seeing being weighed by prosecutors all over the country. In the end, it's like we've got murderers, we've got this, we've got that. Yes, you got punched in the face in an unprovoked manner. You were knocked out, but there were no severe injuries. So we're not going to prosecute this case. Now, I don't know if that's what's going to happen with this kid or not. But they're turning people like this back out on the streets and releasing them on their own recognizance. You've got police departments that have been dramatically diminished 
Yesterday, we talked about Ilhan Omar from Minnesota. She's a representative, part of the squad, and one of the biggest advocates for defunding the police departments. Well, the crime has gone up in Minneapolis. Criminals take advantage like any other predator. Predatory behavior is an instinct, and human beings can control it and change it. But predatory behavior is you go after the weakest. You attack in numbers if you can. You outnumber your prey. You attack your prey. You overwhelm your prey. You devour your prey. Um, And unfortunately, there are a lot of human beings that have taken on that mindset. And we as a society don't live in the Wild West anymore. You know, in the old, when the Wild West, if you were a horse thief, the people caught the horse thief and they hung you for being a horse thief. And that was the end of it. It was street justice. That's the way it was. We have a different society now where we employ police officers and give them the ability to make arrests. We have a prosecution system where you get a fair trial, where the jury commits to believing that you are innocent until proven otherwise and to be open-minded. But when you're convicted, you're supposed to be punished. And in a society, if that's going to work, you have to have a system that works hand in hand. You have to have enough police officers to, A, stop crime if possible. The idea of catching criminals is fantastic. You know, the Phoenix police department does a really good job of catching criminals with crimes in progress. What they wish they were better at again, like they used to be, is preventing crimes in the first place. Visibility. When it comes to crimes on the streets, when it comes to traffic violations, part of the reason why we've seen such a huge uptick in deaths in Phoenix is because we don't have motor officers anymore, or very few of them. There is no punishment nor penalty. There is no risk. And so you escalate that to serious and violent crimes when criminals feel that they have the upper hand, that they're not going to get caught. And if they do, they're probably not going to get punished. This is the result you get. And we as a society have to look at this and say, at what point do we make sure when we're electing leadership, it's not just a popularity contest, that this is about um, what results especially in public safety. Coming up in a moment, your opportunity to join us. Um, we're doing it each hour on all of our shows and with our, our station, Arizona Sports, our partners there. It's the give for Phoenix Children's Hospital. Your opportunity to jump on board and give and hear more great stories and more touching emotional stories from our friends at Phoenix Children's. It happens next. The give for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. give on on the Mike Broomhead Show. What a privilege this is to partner with you and great corporate partners here all around the, the valley as we get together and we give to Phoenix Children's Hospital. What a worthwhile cause. What a community of people that we are so blessed to have this facility and these facilities around the state of Arizona doing such fantastic work for the families that are in desperate need of care for their children. What better thing to have in the valley than to know that if your child needs medical care, they're going to get the best medical care right here in the valley. I just mentioned a moment ago that we are partnering with great corporate partners. How about this check presentation? I want you to hear on cue financial. All right, joined now by Sean Cannon, branch manager of OnQ Financial, and Jody Winters, a mortgage consultant for OnQ Financial, our PCH partners this year. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Sean, why is OnQ Financial so uh, committed to being part of this Giveathon? It's now your third year participating. Yes, it is our third year. It's just, you know, OnQ has always been um, giving back to the community and, and finding their 
parts that they are really important to them. And obviously, children and family and everything is probably the most important part of being of what we do. We do mortgages. We put people in homes. We have let let people have their family dreams and their you know houses and stuff like that. So PCH is just a very natural fit for us to be able to give back and help those people who need help. Well, Jody, let's get to the main event, shall we? I know yes. you have a check to present. We sure do. I'll hand it over to you. Yes. $25,000 from OnQ Financial to PCH. That is tremendous. Thank you so much for your generosity year in and year out with OnQ Financial. Thank you very much for having us. What an amazing story and what another one of our great corporate partners that are stepping up and realizing that the people at Phoenix Children's Hospital are doing amazing work, but they can't do it alone. They need your support. And I want you to hear one of these great stories. Our friends at Madame Homes are promoting our, our, our sponsor for Stories of Hope. Another one of those great stories of hope. September of 2019, a young man named Jason who was a student at Brophy. He collapsed during a basketball practice. He was unresponsive. His mom, Dee, his dad, Chris, and Jason talk about that fateful day and what has come in his uh, Phoenix Children's Hospital journey. Getting a call from the school when you see that pop up on your phone, uh, middle of the day or the afternoon, it always takes a pause. So my husband, he simultaneously was getting a phone call from the police officer that had hopped in the ambulance with Jason. But as we started driving down and discussing what was going on, we started to, I think, get a little bit more panicked. My husband went to park the car and I I ran in. At that point, that instinct kicked in that something wasn't right. And that's when we found Jason, you know, getting treatment by multiple people. There were first responders standing over him, the emergency room staff. Due to the amount of people in the room, it was it instantly caught you as, wow, this is this is serious. It, it, It was it was frightening. But Chris and I knew to stay calm because we knew that he was in the right place and the experts were taking care of him. Jason had collapsed at practice, that they had gotten to the scene, that an AED had been administered. For that to be administered, we now know the heart must be stopped. Uh, I do remember just waking up in the hospital bed and I was confused. Uh, My mom mentioned to me that I actually thought I was in the hospital because of COVID. I didn't know what had happened to me. It's like my brain just completely forgot about everything that day. But the overall experience from the emergency room to the ICU, it, it, it was absolutely incredible and exactly what you would want. And when we did get introduced to the Dr. Franklin, Dr. Velez duo, um, the A-team, we had no idea, again, being in it, that we had, you know, the MVPs of, of you know, the surgical and um, clinical team. You know, everything from them drawing us pictures, you know, asking, answering our questions as things were unfolding. They were so patient. Um, but that's the type of doctors and surgeons that we dealt with who, no matter how long their day was, was making sure we as patients were seen and heard. Um, and that was important. You know, we were scared once we started to get more information um, because of the unknowns of Jason's recovery. As the days turn into multiple days and move on, you know, Jason went in and he had a surgery approximately a week, a week later. So spending time at BCH around the clock and, and, and they do a really good job. They become your family because you, you don't leave and you're there nonstop. 
I can't be, have enough gratitude and be thankful enough to the folks that gave us care. The ICU director stayed. I checked in with her at night, you know, just walking to get a cup of coffee and said hello to her and said thank you for a staff. She knew that Jason was did well and he was checking out of the ICU after his open heart surgery. She smiled. She said, I'm so happy for you because not everyone gets the outcomes because we are we're very fortunate. Jason has a very, very great and we were very fortunate for his outcome. And and she was another person that just her, it was so grateful for the staff and the standards that they maintain for themselves in that hospital. It, it was remarkable. Wow, what an incredible institution you'll find yourself in when if, if you receive care or ever need to attend PCH for any reason. Just another amazing story. Imagine being those parents that got word that their child was unresponsive and in the days that followed and then to realize if it hadn't been for the care and the expertise at Phoenix Children's Hospital. That's what we're doing here. Stories like that so we can continue to help these families when a crisis hits and when a medical need is there. Now is your opportunity to join us. Right now, that match music means that your donations right now will be matched, which means your investment gets doubled. I want to thank the people at Swire Coca-Cola for matching right now in this segment of the show, you can call in to donate at 602-933-4567. That's 602-933-4567. Or text the word GIVE to 411-923. That's 411-923. Please give if you can. I would appreciate that. And I know the people at Phoenix Children's would appreciate it very, very much. That means that sound is the train teddy bear express. You can become a champion of hope. I was able to deliver some of these bears at Phoenix Children's Hospital, and it changes the attitudes and puts a smile on the face of all of the family members to give these children a bear. If you donate $20 a month, that's $240 in the year. If you can afford that, a bear will be given to one of these children in your name, and it makes such a difference, and your donation goes such a long way in helping Phoenix Children's Hospital. Again, the number is six. 602-933-4567-602-933-4567 or text the word give to 411923 that's give to 411923 any donation that you can give is helpful and I want to thank you in advance for jumping on board with us coming up in a moment We're going to go back to this human trafficking side of things, the statistics of what's happened in this operation where children were recovered from sex trafficking. It is such a compelling story. We'll do it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Uh, Download the podcast. It's easy to do. It's very simple on any device. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. It's all right there. The Broomhead podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. You can get more money selling your home by going to carolhasthebuyers.com. That's carolhasthebuyers.com. Phoenix FBI agents find 17 human trafficking victims as part of Operation Cross Country. I read these numbers before. I want to read them again as a jumping off point. Um, Although they found uh, uh, they were able to identify 17 adult victims Tuesday through Friday of this week. And that was the federal agents working with the the Phoenix Police Department. The Operation Cross Country focused on victims of child sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. 
Authorities located 141 adult victims of human trafficking across the U.S. during this two-week campaign. They said they identified and located 84 minor victims of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. They found 37 missing children over the course of the operation. Here's the statistic that should make us all sick to our stomach. The average age of the minor victims was 15 and a half years old, and the youngest one they found was 11, an 11-year-old child being sex trafficked. More than 200 state, local, and federal partners conducted 391 operations. Um, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, said human trafficking is among the most heinous crimes the FBI encounters. Um, it is uh, an amazingly sad thing. And I bring this up in context with our border uh, conversations we've been having because a lot of this sex trafficking is happening through the cartels, not exclusively, but there's a lot of that. And since we're a border state, it's one of our questions. It, it's, I'm sorry, not one of our questions. It's one of our uh, biggest issues. And for a country that not only says it, I believe in the hearts of all of us, there are a few things that would I'd say 90 percent of the country supports, 95 percent of the country supports. But as adults, as we grow older, I would say that the vast majority of people across the political spectrum from the very, very liberal to the very, very conservative would say protecting our children from predators is the number one issue for parents. That the idea that somebody would prey upon or get over on your child is something that is so scary and infuriating that it's something that it, it gives you chills to even listen to or think about. And so how it connects with the border issue, of course, is we understand that there are young people that whose parents are trusting and they're spending thousands of dollars they don't have to send their children unaccompanied with, but with cartel members, believing that they're going to come to America and they're going to have a better life. And in many cases, what is happening when this happens is once they get to the states, the cartels tell them, we're taking your papers that show legitimacy in this country, and you work for us now. And you're going to work off the rest of the money that you owe us. And if you're thinking about going to the police and running away, we're going to kill you. But if we can't find you, we're going to kill your family members where you left them. And so these children believe that these cartel members have access to their families and will murder them. And in many cases, they have good reason to be fearful of that. So these children end up paying a very heavy price in their lives, whether it's the drug trade or it's sex trafficking. An 11-year-old, 11 years old. This is something as a nation, I, we have so many arguments about what's best for children. I argue about schools and about curriculum and about education and about sex education, about all of pronouns. We have all of those conversations because we all want what's in the best interest of a child. You disagree with me on an issue. I disagree with you on an issue and what's best for children, possibly. But there's no way we disagree on this one. There's no way that we don't stand shoulder to shoulder and say the drug cartels controlling our border and the cartels having the access to children that they have has to stop the incentivizing of children being sent to this country and then being trafficked. But let's go beyond the scope of the border. Your child, and this was said to me by someone who did this for a living. Uh, she was she's a retired Scottsdale police officer who spent time chasing down child predators. And she spoke to a group of parents, and I was there. And she said to them, "Your child may not be looking for trouble, but trouble is looking for your child." 
And she told stories of how kids get tricked and then they get bribed and then they get extorted. And if they don't have a strong relationship with their parents, they end up doing things, unimaginable things that no child should ever have to make choices to do. So, you know, that that uh, 13 year old boy from another school that knows six of your daughter's friends that she becomes friends with on Facebook could be the 47 year old guy down the street that is going to prey upon your little girl. And it's something that should scare the heck out of all of us, and it's something every one of us should be concerned about because all of these children deserve adults that are going to stand up for them. They should feel comfortable around adults. They shouldn't have to worry that somebody's trying to get over on them. So you've got to know who your children are friends with online and in real life. We have to start taking ownership and making sure that, you know, disciplining our children is one thing. Protecting them sometimes is discipline. Know who they're friends with. They don't need a thousand friends on Facebook. What, you know, how many friends do they have? And you're opening the door to these predators that are just evil. And it's so sad to hear that statistic that an 11 year old and the average age was 15 and a half is disgusting. So congratulations to Phoenix PD and the FBI for this effort. Speaking of children, um, coming up just after 11 o'clock, El Mirage, there was a lockdown of an elementary school in El Mirage, and then there was a confrontation between some concerned parents and police officers where I can actually understand both sides of the equation. But I'm going to talk to an expert in Steve Hooper to how do we prevent this from happening. That comes up next.